Welcome to Walking in Faith with Pastor Rob Currington. This podcast is dedicated to helping develop lifelong seekers of the Kingdom of God. Each week, Pastor Rob helps bring God's message for living to those seeking a richer and more Christ-filled life. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he shares this week's message. Would you join with me as our pastor's prayer this morning is praying for a greater measure of faith. Would you join with me silently as I pray out loud? Dear Heavenly Father, we come to praise and honor you this morning. And as your children, we come to express our trust and love and your goodness. We've come to proclaim that you reign over all things. As the psalmist sings, the Lord reigns, he is robed in majesty. The Lord is robed, he has put on his strength as his belt. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. For your throne is established from of old. You are from everlasting. The floods have lifted up. O Lord, the floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lift up their roaring. Mightier than the thunders of many waters, mightier than the waves of the sea, the Lord on high is mighty. Your decrees are very trustworthy. Holiness befits your house, O Lord, forevermore. So let us hold on to that truth. Your decrees are trustworthy. And we pray for a greater measure of faith this morning, knowing that you, Father, has assigned to each of us what we need to trust you. And so give us a greater measure of that faith. Forgive our doubts and our fears. Refocus our hearts and minds on the truth of your word. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the tempter who casts doubts on your goodness. And bring to mind this morning all of your great works that you have accomplished in our lives. Give us discernment that we may see that even in the worst of times, you have never abandoned us, but you've embraced us to secure our salvation and to bring us into your family. And until that day when we are brought into your glorious presence, may we truly trust fully in your love and power and grace. In Christ's name we pray. And God's people said... Join with us in Mark chapter 4. We're going to finish off this chapter of Mark, verses 35 through 41, as we continue in the later Galilean ministry of Jesus. Last week, if you were here with us, or if not, as a matter reviewed, Mark shared with us Jesus' teaching on the kingdom of God. Through parables, we found that Jesus revealed the mysteries of the kingdom of God by noting that the kingdom of God will be revealed and be a great light, that all things that are secret will be made manifest. The kingdom of God will grow not by human hands, but by God. The kingdom will grow from insignificant beginnings to an immense size, as we see in Scripture. And We saw that Mark tells us that Jesus used parables because of their effectiveness in sharing the truth, but also to pronounce judgment on those who did not believe Him. And as we've worked our way through Mark's account of the life and ministry of Jesus, he has shown that Jesus is the Messiah. He is the anointed one who was promised in Genesis 3 to our first parents, Adam and Eve, and also to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and down through the prophets to Israel. 
And as the Messiah, Jesus has shown his authority over Satan by resisting temptation, authority over the supernatural and casting out demons, authority over sickness, disabilities, and diseases, authority over worship and over the Sabbath and the religious leaders, and even binding Satan himself. In today's passage, Mark describes how Jesus has even the authority over nature, creation itself. So join with me if you would. Mark chapter 4, we're going to read verses 35 through 41, where Mark writes, On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And the other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke, and he rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? They were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this? that even the wind and the sea obey Him. Father, answer that question for us this morning. Who is He? Who is the one that controls all of creation? Who can speak to nature and she listens to Him? Show yourself this morning. We thank You for Your Word. And as we read, we pray that Your Spirit would have free reign. Speak to us this morning. Let us respond to what you're calling us to do this morning. And may you be glorified in the speaking and the listening and the responding this morning, we pray. Amen. As we see here, Mark is sharing with us the setting is at night. Jesus is tired from teaching and healing all that came to him. Remember from Mark 3 that Jesus' practice while near the shore of Galilee was to get into a boat and be pushed off just a little off the sea by the shore because of all the people. Jesus was desiring to go straight to the other side of the coast, probably to get some rest. And he had the disciples cast off without going to the land or shore at first. Exhausted, Jesus finds comfort on the small cushion at the stern of the boat, using it as a pillow, and finding himself drifting into a deep sleep in which he's not even aware of his surroundings. While sleeping, a violent storm blows in, causing the boat to begin to take on water. The Sea of Galilee is not large in the fact that we think of most seas, but D.A. Carson writes that on the Sea of Galilee, sudden and violent squalls are not uncommon. It lies 600 feet below sea level. With hot, steamy air can start to rise, drawing in a rush of air from the desert that surrounds it that churns the surface of the lake into a violent cauldron. This is a sea that could very quickly become something unmanageable. The disciples, though, still did not fully understand and recognize who Jesus was. Even after experiencing his miraculous works, his healings, and hearing the demons cry out, you are the son of God, when he casts them out of their nets, or their human host, he still, they still are not quite sure. Jesus, by this time, who's exhausted, 
And again, as I said, in a deep sleep, is rebuked by the disciples and accused of not caring for them. Their fear of the storm and possible death caused them to lose faith and doubt Jesus' love. Awakened by their frightening cries of help, the passage tells us that Jesus calls for the storm to cease. Miraculously, the sea listens to the commands of the Lord of all creation and immediately obeys and is replaced with calm. Jesus, in return, rebukes the disciples for their lack of faith. By this time, he expects them to have a more mature faith, especially with all the private attention, as we saw last week, and teaching they've been receiving from him. A feeling of awe and fear overtake them at this wonder as they respond with a question that is echoed throughout history. Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Thomas Jefferson could not answer that question. Thomas Jefferson, our third president, took this passage of Scripture and cut it out of the Bible and said it cannot be so. Other men and women, those of philosophy, scientists, and others have said this cannot be so. Jesus cannot be supernaturally empowered to do these things and have disregarded it. But the question I'd ask you, who then is this man? For Mark's account is this is who Jesus is. A short account. He's just telling us something very simply. What I'm going to do is I'm going to share three sets of twos for you if you'd like to take notes. Three sets of two things that I want us to learn from this. The first thing is see we see two views of Christ in this passage. Two views of Christ. The first one, we see Jesus' humanity. He was tired and exhausted. Turn with me if you have your Bible still at Mark chapter 3. Jesus is human. He's exhausted. He's tired. In Mark chapter 3, 7 through 10, we looked at this several weeks ago, but look again. As Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea, and the great crowd followed him from Galilee and Judea, Jerusalem and Edomia, and from beyond Jordan, from around Tyre and Sidon. People are coming from everywhere out of the woodwork to see and hear Jesus. When the great crowd heard all that he was doing, they came to him and he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of crowd, lest they crush him. Jesus' humanity is very much on display here. It's not that he didn't care. He was just tired. He was just exhausted. Could you imagine a flood of people just coming to you, just asking for healing? Jesus was human. He became tired. There was a limit to what he physically could do. But the other thing that we see here in Christ is not only his humanity, but we do see his divinity. We see his divinity. He has authority over the sea. You might have recalled our scripture reading, Colossians chapter 1. For in him and by him all things were created. He is the Lord of creation. An ancient text of the first century, a writer says, Jesus is sleeping, showing that he was man while his calming of the seas declared him God. In this short passage, you see the humanity and the divinity of Christ. John MacArthur writes that the, Jesus gave his disciples a preview of God's glorious kingdom where the natural elements will never be out of control. In this world today, we have people who are just afraid of climate change and earthquakes and all those types of things. I think even this weekend, the ladies up in camp found some elements out of their control as lightning struck 
took down their transformer and wound up in the dark. Isn't there going to be a great day when we're in the kingdom and the elements are not out of control? Scripture tells us that even creation itself groans for the redemption and the reconciliation of the creation and of man. See, the earlier passages tells us of the greatness of the kingdom. Jesus now demonstrates with his authority the power that he has within the kingdom. So we see two views of Christ. We see his humanity and we see his divinity. But I also want to share with you there's two things here that God is doing through this storm. This is not just some coincidence, some accident, or just type of thing that just seemed to happen to them. There's a purpose in what God does. And what we're going to see is two things God exposes in this storm. The first thing that we're going to see is God wants to expose the disciples' weak faith. He wants to expose their weak faith. It says in verse 38, But while he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion, they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Now, Jesus often rebuked his weak disciples for their lack of faith. This is not the first time, and it won't be the last. Jesus rebuked them for their weak faith when they didn't trust God to provide for their daily needs. He rebuked them when Peter was sinking while walking on water. He rebuked them when the disciples were concerned about not having bread after they had seen him feed 5,000 people. He also rebuked them when the disciples were not able to cast out the demons after they had done so for some time, and then all of a sudden they couldn't. Even though they had been handpicked by Jesus to be his disciples, though they traveled with him, ate with him, and ministered alongside with him, And though they have witnessed all of the great things that Jesus had done, and though he spent time privately explaining all things to them, the disciples still had not yet come to grips with who Jesus really is. You see, their faith is still small and weak. It has not matured to the point that it probably should have at this time. D.A. Carson, once again a theologian, writes that our faith will be more stable if we center on who Jesus is. And since they were not sure of who Jesus is, their faith became unstable and weak. Unfortunately, the disciples' focus was on the storm. Their fear caused them to doubt Jesus. However, before we're too harsh with them, you and I must remember that we are guilty of the same thing, are we not? We too take our eyes off Jesus. We lose focus on who He is. Yet as Paul encourages spiritual son Timothy to remember that God has given us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Again, we should not be too harsh because this storm was real. We must remember that. In reading this, we can sometimes be combative with them. But this storm was real. The boat really was taking on water. It was in real danger of capsizing. I don't know about you, but I I have a real healthy fear about water and drowning. Anybody with me? I do not swim. I've never been able to float. I can't. And I've got a stomach that's made for floating, but it's more like a lead balloon than anything else. I just can't do it. So I really have a healthy fear of this. And let's not forget that most of these men 
were experienced fishermen who knew boats and knew waters and even the storms. Now I can imagine, yeah, Matthew and maybe some of the others who weren't fishermen, but the majority of them were fishermen, experienced fishermen. They were most likely have been in the midst of storms many times. Maybe some of them have even lost family and loved ones and friends to the sea. Their fear was normal and appropriate. I need you to think of that because many times when this message is preached, people focus on the storm. The storm is not the issue. It's like David and Goliath. What's the giant in your life that you need to fight? What's the storm that you need to weather? And there's some truth to that, but you need to remember that the storm was real. The danger was real. The problem was real. It was normal and appropriate for them to be fearful, and worried about death. Okay, are we there? This was normal. Sometimes we sanitize and we don't put ourselves in what's going in, but we need to read scripture with that. These are experienced fishermen who are scared. And let me tell you, if I'm in a boat and the experienced boatman has got a problem and he's nervous and scared, you know what's going to happen to me? I'm going to be trying walking on water if I have to. So I got to trust this. We need to understand that this is why John Calvin, the great reformer, writes, yet we ought to be aware that it's not every kind of fear which indicates a want of faith. So you need to be careful. But only that dread of fear which disturbs the peace of the conscience in such a manner that it does not rest on the promise of God. So let's tighten this text. The issue here is not the storm. It's the setting. It's what's going on. It's big, it's real, it's dangerous. But here's their lack of faith. Are you ready? It's not the fear of the storm that was the problem. The problem of their lack of faith was that they doubted that Jesus cared. Their doubt Their lack of faith was in Jesus, not in the storm. Listen to what they say. Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? They doubted the goodness of Jesus. Now again, let's put ourselves with the disciples. They had seen him heal the man with the withered hand. They had seen him touch a leper. They had seen him heal Peter's mother-in-law. They had saw him heal the people that were demon-possessed. Not one, not two, but many, so much that they crushed him. Scripture says that he healed all who came away. There were none that went away not meeting a need. They saw that Jesus could do miraculous things. They saw the goodness of Jesus to other people. But when it came to them, and in their time of need, they doubted the goodness of God. That's what's key as we see here. Teacher, do you not even care? Let me ask, do you suffer from this today? Do you doubt the goodness of God? Do you doubt that He will provide? Do you doubt that He cares for you? Are you struggling with that today? I think there are some of you. 
you struggle obeying his word because you doubt his promises? In what ways this morning, let me ask you, are you not satisfied with God's promises? Take your Bibles and turn with me to James chapter 1, 5 through 6. We too, like the disciples, question the goodness of God. We struggle in whether or not God's plans for us are good. We struggle with being satisfied with God's direction in our life. Remember, this is the brother of Jesus. I think this is key to understanding this passage. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting. For one who doubts is like the wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. Sometimes I wonder if James knew this story and used this to point to that particular issue in the life. Maybe. Whichever way, he's being consistent. See, they didn't have wisdom. They didn't trust God. They were just fearful. They doubted the goodness of Jesus. Let me share with you. You will face many storms in your life that will cause you to doubt God. You have financial storms, marital storms, relationship storms, health storms. Some of you are going through those right now. Your life is churned. The waves are coming in. You feel like you're capsizing. Life maybe seems upside down. Maybe you're taking in so much water, you're treading it, and you're feeling it up near your mouth or your nose, and you feel like you're spitting it out and bailing it out as fast as you can. Those storms will not go away. That's how we become more like Christ, is through the difficulties of life. That's what he tells us in James. But let me tell you, this is Satan's plan from the very beginning. Even in the perfect world of the Garden of Eden, Satan tempted Eve by questioning the very goodness of God and his care for his people. Does not God want you to eat that because he knows your eyes will be open? He doesn't want you to have that because he doesn't want you to be like God. You see, when you face the various storms in your life, you're going to either trust God or hear Satan say, Jesus doesn't care about you. That's what's going on. Do you know what I'm talking about? Maybe you're in there right now. Maybe you're on top of a wave right now. Maybe you're on the downside. Maybe right now the waters are all washed away, or maybe your seas are calm. The issue isn't whether or not the seas are calm. The issue is whether or not you trust God no matter what the weather is. Let me tell you, do not be deceived. Keep your eyes on the promises of God. Romans 8.28 tells us that we know that for those who love God, all things work together for what? Good. For those who are called according to his purpose. You and I must trust in the goodness of God's precept and his law. We need to trust in God's purposes for our lives. They did not trust in the person of Jesus. It doesn't matter what the storm is. Storms come, storms go. Sometimes he delivers you quickly through them. Sometimes he drives you right through. But sometimes he allows you to be in that storm for a long time period 
of life. And you'll begin to doubt whether Jesus cares for you. Jesus responds, why ye of little faith? Your faith ought to be stronger. Your faith ought to be more mature. If you don't understand, would you ask? And I will give you wisdom. and You will understand. The second thing God wants to expose is not only our lack or weak faith, but God wants to expose Christ's identity and His power and His authority. It says in verse 39, if you're still in Mark chapter 4, as just as a reminder, Jesus awoke and He rebuked the wind and He said, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was great calm. And He said to them, Why are you afraid? Have you still little no faith? Mark began his account by writing that this is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. John the Baptist said of Jesus, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and write. After his baptism, God the Father's voice thundered, proclaiming, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. The demons cry out when confronted by Jesus, What have you to do with us? Jesus of Nazareth, have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And this is only in the first three chapters of Mark. Jesus is God, amen? And as God, He is worthy of all glory, honor, and praise. And this storm exposes Christ's identity, power, and authority. Psalms 29 says, Ascribe to the Lord the glory due to His name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of His holiness. Listen to what he goes on. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders the Lord over many waters. Psalms 89 again uses a water motif when he says, O Lord, God of hosts, who is mighty as you are, O Lord, with your faithfulness all around you, trust in the promises of God, so to speak. You rule the raging of the seas. When the waves rise... You still them. Kind of interesting, right? Psalms 104. He set the earth on its foundations so that it should never be moved. You covered it with the deep as with the garment. The water stood above the mountains. At your rebuke, what did they do? They fled. At the sound of your thunder, they took flight. Here's where we're getting to the disciples. The disciples would have known these psalms. They would have been familiar with the praises of God and His glory over many waters. Instead of doubt and fear, God desires our praise and worship as He is the Lord of all creation. Jesus' authority over nature shows His true person, His true power, and His true purpose. Disciples should have recognized this. Jesus has already been sharing about these things, but yet they fully don't understand. But God wants to expose Christ's identity and power and authority. And I think he did a pretty good job, did he not? With awe and fear, they wondered, who is this man? It should have driven him back to God's word. And let me say on a side note, that whatever storms you're going through, let it drive you back 
to the Word of God. Let it drive you to the purposes of God. And let it drive you to the person of God. For He is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Let me go on to this third set of twos. So he wanted to expose their weak faith. He wanted to expose who Christ truly was. And then I can share with you as we come to apply and understand what this means for us today. There's two things that you and I can trust. Number one, we can trust God's love. We can trust in God's love for us. John 14, Jesus praying for his disciples at the Last Supper before he goes to the cross. Tells his disciples, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you, let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. The disciples right before the cross were different disciples at this moment. And even so, they're going to be different after the day of Pentecost. So let me share with you, God does not expect you to have greater faith than what he's given you. Hence my prayer is God give us a greater measure of faith that God has assigned us. And our faith is strengthened when we recognize and remember that God loves us. Matthew 6, 30-34 tells us, But if God clothes the grass of the field which today is alive and tomorrow is sown in the oven, will He not much more clothe you? Are you in a storm of financial or clothing? O you of little faith, don't be anxious for saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the Gentiles, the people, the world, they seek after all these things, and your Heavenly Father knows that you have need of them. But seek first the kingdom of God. And again, our vision, be seekers of the kingdom of God and His righteousness. He says, all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Maybe your storm is financial uncertainty. And if I may, I just share with us, Dawn and I are in that place right now. As many of you know, she was laid off after almost 14 years. And let's tell you, all of a sudden, when you say, wait a second, we need to start cutting here. We need to start cutting here. And yes, we have unemployment, but all of a sudden, you get what unemployment gives you. It's not the same. And you say, oh my goodness, what are we going to do? What about others that we help? What about the money that we give to the church? What about ourselves? We're not getting any younger. And let me tell you, we're not immune to that ourselves, to financial uncertainty and financial storm. The only reason I can get through this is because I know God loves me. And God is going to be good to me. He tells the disciples, If a father knows how to give good things to his children, will I not also give to my children whom I love? It may not be filet mignon, but I'm okay with just hamburger. That's the problem. Do you trust that God loves you? How about in your marital storm? Are you loving your wife? Wives, are you submitting to your husbands? Are you living the way God has called you to? You say, well, I don't trust it. I don't doubt. I don't believe God loves me. If God loves me, He'd let me live my life any way that I want. It's not love. Love wants the best for you. Would you trust Him that God is love? Not only can we trust in God's love, Another way our faith can grow is when we trust in God's power. That's number two. 
We can trust in God's power. Psalms 29 says, The Lord sets enthroned over the flood. The Lord sets enthroned as king forever. May the Lord give strength to his people. May the Lord bless his people with peace. Amen. I need peace in there. Turn to Ephesians chapter 4. I want to share with you God's power is there for us. And we're to trust that God is powerful. We're not deists. We're not people who believe that God created all things like a clock and then winds us up and he lets the world go and he just observes us. God is intimately in every detail of our life. And that brings us trusting in his power. Ephesians chapter 4, and this will make come clear to you once we read it. Look at verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Here's the key verse. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human coming, by craftiness, by deceitful deceit. What's interesting about Mark's account of this story, and even in Matthew's account, it's interesting that not one disciple is recorded by Mark in rebuking the lack of trust in Jesus. There is not one disciple who says, hey, wait a second, Peter. Wait a second, John. Haven't you seen what Jesus has done? Let him sleep. If he's done all this thing, do you think he's just going to allow himself to drown in his sleep? There's none who are standing up. Not one seemed to call the others to remember what they had heard, seen, and done. And here's the key. You and I are called to live life together. When my faith is low, someone else holds me up and vice versa. That's how we get through these storms of life. This is how we trust in the goodness of God. If you see me struggling with financial storms and I'm wondering if God is good, it's you that needs to come and say, well, let me hold you up. Let me pray for you. Remember our story of the man who was paralyzed and his four friends took him and led him through the roof. Why is it that Jesus healed him? Was it the faith of the paralytic? Or the faith of his friends? It was the faith of his friends. So let me tell you, I'll be honest. I need your faith in my life to make me stronger. You need my faith. We're like redwoods, growing tall and strong, but without deep roots, all intertwined to give each other the strength that we need. We need life together. Ephesians tells us that we're doing life together. We all come to unity in the faith. And we all grow stronger together. Amen? The first century Roman Christians would have been greatly encouraged by Mark's account of this event. They would have found comfort in the midst of the raging waters of persecution and the storms that they faced in that early church. 
It would have encouraged them to focus on the person and the work of Christ for salvation. It would have given them the faith to carry on. And that's what you and I need today. Whether it's first century Palestine or Rome or here, we need to trust in the goodness of God. That's the issue. Are you satisfied with the goodness of God? Are you satisfied with His promises? Do you doubt that God is good? You may say no, but yet some of you are putting off making decisions that you know that God has called you to make. That His Word says do, follow, respond, yield. Is your faith little? Can we walk aside somebody that's weak right now? Would you be willing to do that? Let's help brothers and sisters walk in Christ. Let's build that up. And I just want to end with this. For they said, do you not care, Jesus, that we are perishing? Jesus cares, does he not? Reminded of an old hymn. Rescue the perishing, care for the dying. Snatch them in pity from sin in the grave. Weep o'er the erring one, lift up the fallen, tell them of Jesus, the mighty to save. You see, we do not have faith within ourselves. The issue wasn't that the disciples did not have faith within themselves. The key really is, is they were not trusting yet fully in God. God's grace, though, covered them. Let me give you this real quickly. You will not have faith to face every storm of your life. You will doubt God. Your faith will not measure up. That's the purpose of the storm, to expose the weaknesses, to supply what's lacking in your faith. So here's the key, is we need to understand that it's by grace and grace alone. God gives us the grace, and by God's grace, the disciples were able to churn the world upside down. And so could you, by the grace of God. Rescue the perishing, care for the dying. Jesus is merciful. Jesus is saved. Down in the human heart, crushed by the tempter, feelings lie buried that grace can restore. Touched by a loving heart, wakened by kindness, cords that were broken will vibrate once more. Jesus is rescuing the perishing. Jesus cares. Don't doubt the goodness of God. With every head bowed and every eye closed, it's this moment where we pause, we pray, we consider, and we respond. I want to ask what storms you're going through, because all of us are going through storms. Life is a matter of in storms and out of storms. So it's not the storms. It doesn't matter what the storms are. But let me ask you this. Are you here this morning? Are you doubting the goodness of God in a storm today, would you just raise your hand and say, pray for me, just put it up and put it down. I'm not going to ask you what it is. I'm just going to pray for you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Father, we come before you. And our faith is small. Hence why we ask, Lord, would you give us a greater measure of faith? Let us see that our brothers and sisters, this church is a source of faith is a crutch to come help me walk and trust more in you. Lord, search us and show us in what ways do we not see you as good? In what ways do we not trust you? In what ways are we not satisfied in your goodness? 
Grow us, strengthen us. We ask for wisdom. And Lord, I pray that we would share that with others who go through the same type of storm, that they may see that you are good, that you are the Lord of all creation. We thank you for this. We pray this in Christ's name, who makes all this possible for us. Amen. We hope you have enjoyed this week's Walking in Faith podcast. We encourage you to share this podcast with others in order to help spread God's message to all those in need. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Email us at walkinginfaith at orangevilla.org. You can help us spread this podcast by writing a review at iTunes. And don't forget to visit us online at orangevilla.org. There you will find more information about our ministry, as well as share your thoughts, submit prayer requests, and find out how you can help others to grow in God's love. Until next week, may God bless you in everything you do.